What rhythm was that? Uh, that was probably like a morph rhythm. Check, check, um, <laughs> something. But Man. anyway, it's a 16 ounce can. So Man, it's May 28th. And the other day I got kind of depressed. I was like, man, we're supposed to be hearing about spring training and we're supposed to be going through like what groups are going to be good this year. I mean, going into this summer, I know the blue coats had zero age outs or they were all vets. Everybody in the snare line were all vets. Like that was like, that's like the greatest snare line possibly that never was. It's good. It's, it's yeah. Weird. It's a weird, it's a weird time of year. Like there's supposed to be all the graduations happening, like people in move-ins and like kind of in the thick of it. Uh, a lot of people are posting videos online of like early season footage from years past. Like, Oh, this is this group at spring training in 2001 or 1980 or 2016. I mean, maybe not this many videos from 1980 because of uh, just, just the technology. lack of videos. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, th- those stories are kind of starting to peep out and it's like, man, we're really not going to get to experience DCI this, this summer, which is a bummer, but yeah, everyone's getting nostalgic. Is it usually, what is it? The third week of June? when the first show usually is honestly i can't even remember the timeline (laughs) mid-june somewhere june 20th they start to get out and like there's the first show they think they've been doing up in detroit the last couple years maybe maybe michigan Um, area but like that yeah it's it's wild but we'll persevere dci will be back next year and so will wgi hopefully but so i'm feeling optimistic oh yeah trying glass half full always a glass half full so Today, obviously, there's nothing competitive to talk about. There's no analysis to do, as we said over the rest of the intro to this episode. So today we have another guest for everybody. But before we get to letting him introduce himself, uh, welcome everyone to the Aged Out Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Fantini, and with me as always is... Evan Worrell. And before we get into it, hit subscribe on the YouTube channel, like the video, leave a comment with any questions, follow us on Instagram or Facebook to never miss an update. And you can also subscribe on Apple podcasts and Spotify. If those are your listening platforms of choice. And also lastly, before I forget, we also have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash aged out podcast. If you'd like to provide us with any kind of financial support to help us grow the quality of the podcast, better equipment, you know, stuff like that. Um, but obviously everything will always be free here, uh, to listen. So without further ado, Evan, do you want to take it away and then we'll let our guest introduce himself and we'll, uh, get going. Yeah, sure. Right on. So I think one of the positives silver linings about this whole pandemic quarantine thing is it's given us a little bit more opportunity to catch up with some folks who just have a little bit more time on their hands that maybe we wouldn't normally, uh, get hooked up with or just, be able to meet last week. It was Tom after we did the episode with Paul. And then uh, actually we reached out to this gentleman after he commented on a link that Tom Monks had uh, posted, like, Oh, I'll have to check this out. So we just reached out to this guy. Uh, I've never met him. This is the first time I think I've ever talked to him. I know Mike has met him at a drum corps camp before, but without further ado, joining us from the West coast where in his home, it looks very bright and sunny and here it's dark is uh, a <laughs> Mr. Pete Sabadin. Welcome, man. Hello. Hello. How's it going guys? Good. Oh, How well, you doing? it's just coming Thanks up. Thanks so much the, uh, for for thinking of me and having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, your name has been one that I've seen along on top of many uh, licks that were transcribed that I tried to learn when I was probably too young at one point, and then had to relearn <laughs> later when I had the skill sets to do it. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. You know, I hear about that, and I see that. Like, you know, I watched. And I see there was a kid that played. Uh, I think he played Ram ninety and had something like like a hundred thousand 
views on his video. I'm like, oh my god, I've never. <laughs> That's pretty incredible. Like, I've never met that guy. How did he even get a copy? You know, but it's super cool. I mean, it's amazing. So much of our of our activity has been handed down, like we're, you know, from you know from you know word of mouth. You know, from one teacher tells a student, and that that's that that student becomes a teacher, and then passes that information down. So much of that in our activity. Yeah, it's awesome. We were talking about that with Tom a little bit last time, and just how it's almost like a, a drumming family tree where you mm. pass down like the family recipe from from kid to kid or something. Right, uh, and or actually, more like when, more like Jedi masters training their 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 padawans, more like that. <laughs> I love that more. So that's a, <laughs> a analogy. I'm sure it's we'll a better analogy for I'm sure. Always down to talk Star Wars. Oh yeah, yeah. I have a problem. <laughs> but it was funny. Uh, we'll get into this some more too. But when you sent that sheet music. Uh, I was looking at it and I was like, oh, there's some stuff that I learned wrong. <laughs> just the transcription was wrong. Or oh, wow. it's just like, man, that, that makes sense that that was wrong because what I was playing did not feel very good. <laughs> so, but yeah, man, uh, really appreciate you taking the time to uh, join us and just hop on and talk shop a little bit. You yeah. certainly have probably a lot more different experiences than uh, a lot of our guests just because – you're a different generation than Mike and myself, and we love to hear those stories and just hear the the way people got into it because it's definitely not a, a one-size-fits-all roadmap for everyone. Sure. Yeah, man. So, so uh, yeah, I guess just kind of take us through, like, getting into rudimental percussion. We can do, like, a quick time lapse of, like, how you got into it, things you did, groups you were in, and then we'll, uh, we'll kind of steer it from there. All right, all right. Um, so... My brother is why I play a percussion, honestly, because um, I had always wanted to play percussion, but my mom never let me because um, I had tried different things. My brother is a clarinet player. He lives in Manhattan. He lives in New York City. And he's he's had a, 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 you know, a, a great career. And he's been able to and he still does. And he's playing and he's he's do just just did a CD and he's re, re, uh, played with the Metropolitan Opera. And you know, high level gigs around town. He's a great, great player. That's sick. And um, and he's he's hilarious. I love. Him. Um, so, but he um, he was in band, and I I wasn't. You know, and at, before I had I had tried uh, doing percussion. I was um, I I you know I had tried guitar, and I realized now I just had a terrible teacher. He's like, do this. He's like, I can't do that. We'll keep trying. It's like, dude, you know, and it was just a bad teacher. And so, like, guitar went out the window. Then, you know, my brother, my, my mom was like, why don't you try clarinet, you know? All right. So I tried play, playing clarinet, rock to B-flat scale, you know, trying to figure out the fingerings. It was kind of fun. I was into it a little bit. And then we moved. And then I just, I never had the the, the desire to dig it out again. And then um, my brother's like, you got to, you know, why don't you join band? You know, I'm a high school band. And this was at Anaheim, California. I was at a high school called Magnolia High School in Anaheim. And it was a small band, but a band that would uh, frequently beat much bigger bands at that time. And the, the band director there was John Hawsey, and um, he had been there for a bunch of years and really made a made a made a name for himself there at the school. My brother's like, "You got to join." I'm like, "Well, I don't play anything. What am I going to play? Just play whatever you want. They'll teach you." I'm like, all right, almost like a dare. All right, I'll play drums because everybody had always said no to me. And he goes, "Yeah, sure, <laughs> cool, cool, do that." I'm like, "Really? They'll teach me? Oh yeah." Okay, I'm there. Fine. So then I I, uh, I showed up and they had already had like rehearsals in the summer that I wasn't part of. So like they threw me in the pit and I was wounding up. I remember I was on bells and uh, and we were playing with the full band like after bringing it together. 
and I'm playing bells and I don't know what I'm doing. But that didn't stop me from playing above my head everything. I hit, you know, I hit the living crap out of the bells. I remember my brother playing clarinet just looking over me, kind of laughing. And I don't know why he was laughing because I'm just like, if we're going to do it, let's do it. You know, and I'm like wrong notes and everything. I didn't care. You know, I just went for it. It was like, I'm just banging him. And everybody goes, maybe we should put him on a drum. <laughs> and the rest is history, folks. Yeah, I played bottom bass my freshman year in high school in a three-band bass line. And then, uh, and then uh, my second year, I played snare in a, in a five-man snare line. We got bigger. And then I played snare every year after that. Then um, I saw the Anaheim Kingsmen performing at a – at, at that time, it wasn't indoor, but indoor drumline at that time, we're talking about 86-ish. There was uh, the, the second semester winter drumline competitions, but they were pretty much held outside on a football field, like on the track. And people would just post up, stand there, and, play, and, and, and chop together their field show and play. And that was, that was and you get judged, and that was the gig, right? And we yeah, had, yeah. We, at that time, we had, I remember we had Ralph Hardman judged us. You know, Tom Flo judged us back in the day because it was the Drums Across California circuit. It was run by Michael Ellerby, who was a other former uh, Anaheim Kingsman guy. Um, oh, that he, he, he marched with with all those guys, too. So, um, But anyway, uh, I digress. Where were we at? So then I did uh, – we saw the Kingsman, and they had a big drum line at that time. And I was a sophomore, and I'm like, oh, my God, look at that. That is so awesome. I got to be able to – I want to do that. And then I, me and my friend go, let's go. Let's just, they said they're still taking people. Let's go in. Let's try to go for it. It's like, all right. My friend Jim Dever, he left me hanging. He didn't go. Hey, Jim. And, uh, <laughs> we're still friends. But it's like, I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to go anyway. So I went and I, I didn't play traditional grip at that time. At my high school, I'd only toyed with it. My high school played match grip. So I kind of had to teach myself traditional grip as part of the audition, you know? <laughs> and, um, you know, with mixed results. But, you know, when I was there, you know, they took me on board and I met some really great people in that in that organization. Uh, uh, Pat Scanlon was the was the was the was the caption head then. And he came from the I think he was involved with Star at some point and also came from the Bridgman at some point. And um, Joe White taught the tenors. Joe White was from 27th Lancers and Blue Devils and Vanguard tenor line. Uh, it's an amazing dude. And um, uh, also. Uh, now I can't remember if I don't, if I skip names, I'm going to be like, that's terrible. Um, uh, Steve, Steve Yates, he taught the baseline and other things. He's an amazing dude. He had a lot of success too. He's a, you know, great musician, great guy. Um, he actually taught the rival to my high school group, the rival group, orange high school and La Harbor high school. Our groups used to tangle a little bit. The instructors had like, it almost seemed like there was a little bit of a beef there, you know, from, from a student's perspective and seemed that way. Like we won drums at one thing, like at a, at a, at a winter drum line thing. And I remember they, they, they left before they finished announcements. Like, Hey, 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 Hey. <laughs> it's like the old Detroit Pistons walking. Yeah. Off the floor, yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah they, they pulled, they pulled one of those on us. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, but like, they were great. This drum line was, all, those drum lines were great back then too. Uh, the, the La Harbor and like Mike Jackson went to orange high school at that time. And, and he, he came up in, 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 um, in Steve Yates line. Um, so that was, that was cool. Um, so, uh, and also, let's see, uh, Terry Medwig. He uh, was a guy that marched in the Kingsmen and then marched in Vanguard a bunch of years. I think he aged out in Vanguard and maybe he aged out in 85 or 86, something like that. 
no, 85. He must have just aged out 85. And I remember I'd say, hey, I go, you know, Terry, you know, I'm still trying to figure out this traditional grip. Could, could I come? I just went, reached out to him. said, can I come early? Would you meet me early and help me with this, you know? And then I'll pay you or whatever. He goes, nah, just buy me a beer when you get older. I'll, I'll be there. You know? <laughs> That's cool. That's and he totally partner. helped me. Yeah, he's a, he was a, he's a great dude. And he totally helped me, you know. And it's, it was, that was a great experience. And then my mom pulled the plug because this was the summer, would have been the summer after my sophomore year of high school. And my mom did not want me out on tour. She was a little scared of the whole thing of the freedom of it and the and the older kids and what's going on there with those staff members or whatever you know like she was just dubious of the whole thing and she just yanked the plug from me just saying you know you're not doing this i'm like oh seems like a reasonable mom even though that's a fair thing she had my back you know honestly yeah yeah, yeah. and um but because of that so I, i i left you know and i didn't go on tour that year and in that line was a bunch of guys I wound up marching with from in Velvet Knights and then again in Blue Devils after the fact. Like I, because it was a bunch of dudes that were my age somehow. I went in there and I met these guys there and I'm like, and I see this guy and he's playing fat as hell, fast. I'm like, oh my God, like what is that guy like an age out? No, he's a soft, no, he's a sophomore in high school. Oh my God. Shout out to Mike Vasquez, this dude. He marched VK after that. Great, great player. I mean, he had just smooth hands. You know, he, he could be difficult to get along with at times, but he because he's very, very funny, you know, in a subversive kind of way. But I remember just seeing that. I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see guys like this my whole career. Like, I guess what when I go audition for VK, guess who I'm gonna see? This guy. And he not only is he playing traditional grip, he can already play inverted cheese, and I don't even know what those are. Oh my god, you know. <laughs> so. And then my mom pulls the plug, and I'm just like, oh, man, I'm, I'm doomed, you know? These guys are already ahead of me. Also, Ron Nieto was in that line. I marched with Ron, 87, 88, VK, and then 89, 90, Blue Devils. He decided not to march in 91. He's one of the guys who just said nope, and he just bailed. Um, also, um, yeah, Mike Vasquez, who marched VK, 87, 88 after that. Dwayne Matos marched VK, 87, 88, and then Blue Devils, 89. A uh, bunch, bunch, bunch of guys, bunch of guys in there that that went on and marched. You know, we all you know saw each other after this, after that. Saw you know see everybody at the VK audition. Let's yeah, hey, what's you up? Again, hey. Yeah. <laughs> and I was I was got a bunch of crap from those guys because I was the greenest one because those guys all did like youth band at least. I had only done my high school, you know, so I was uh, I was the greenest of of the bunch. So I would I would be the butt of many jokes and have to defend myself. Um, <laughs> And work on my own personal kung fu to deal with those guys. <laughs> I admit you're in there, but uh, no. But those guys were. were I, I don't know how to explain it, but I'll give you a quick story. My friend Dwayne, my friend Dwayne Matos. We were at this at this camp, and I'm in VK, and I got a hold of some bad food or whatever, and I, I was sick. I was throwing up, and I was in the gym, and I was like throwing up in my cooler, and it was kind of after lights out, and people are pretty much sleeping, and they could hear me just, you know, just not doing well. I couldn't, I, I couldn't make it. I'm like, Buick, you know? I couldn't I couldn't make it to the to the bathroom, and I'm just, and I'm retching my, my guts out into my cooler. It's terrible. And I'm just like, oh, and you get a little break. And I hear my friend Dwayne, right? He goes, Pete, man, you all right? I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. He's all right. Then get the fuck out of here. 
And then you hear the whole gym start laughing. I'm like, yeah, he's right. So then I just get up and try to get out of there while I had a break, you know, because I'm keeping everybody up. Yeah. These, yeah, but these guys were really funny. Um, but like since I didn't go on tour that year, I was paranoid. So I just worked so hard that whole year because I knew where the bar was. Now that I got outside of my high school and I could see what other people were playing outside of my little small world, I realized I wasn't going to be able to compete unless I really stepped it up. Even though I was already pretty good, I was like, I'm not good enough, you know, because these guys are going to beat me in these auditions. So I worked yeah. my butt off. And plus, I'm thinking they're going on tour. They're going to have those tour hands of drumming all day, every day, you know, all these hard beats. But then when I saw them the next year. I did a good job of pretty much staying with what I needed to stay with. And we were all kind of still in the, in the, in the pocket there. And then I marched VK in 87 and 88 under Matt Savage. And um, also yes. uh, did the Magical Mystery Store, Magical yeah. Mystery Tour Part 1 and Part 2. <laughs> right, right, right. And, you know, at that time before, you know, VK was – uh in 84 84 was the first year vk made finals they made they were 12th place then i think in 85 they got 11th place they climbed up a little right then in 86 they went back down to 12th place and then in 87 we got like we tied we got like eighth place or something we had a huge 87 the huge 90s 90.0 yeah uh dave ramirez was my first drum instructor at magnolia high school he was my guy and he would he had marched the Kingsmen, learned a little bit from Float because Float had helped out a little bit in the Kingsmen in those years or when he was still at Blue Devils, I believe. And um, I learned of all I knew all those guys' names before I went and auditioned for these places. You know, when I went to Blue Devils, I was so looking forward to meeting and I knew the legend of Tom Float and Scott Johnson and those guys. You know, and uh, you know had had the records. You know, was listening to the records, trying to slow them down, trying to learn like Paradox. That left like he was you had to learn all that stuff like because you knew you were you wanted to go there you better be able to hang with what already happened you know yeah yeah um so and uh and in vk uh dale lofgren that's when i met dale dale was also a member of the anaheim kingsman the first anaheim kingsman that uh that won dci the very first dci with year so that part of that snare line with tom float and ralph hardeman and dale lofgren and i think mike ellerby you know all these guys that you know the 86 you know the 86 the, the 70 what is it 72 kingsman you know somehow my life has crossed paths with almost all those guys you know a lot of those guys you know and, and you know al murray you know too is another guy that was that was involved with that and it's like just so happens we've gotten to work with them and meet them and become friends, friends with them and learn, learn from them. And, and, you know, Dale Lofgren is kind of like a, like, like a surfer dude, like, but really, you know, you know, he's crazy smart. And, um, so in, in 86, I, I'm not going on tour with, with, uh, with, uh, Kingsman and I'm going with my brother. My brother was going for scholarships around, uh, to, for clarinet. And I was just there for moral support. And he was going, we're going to Long Beach, uh, Cal State Long Beach for an audition. So I'm with him. We go to Cal State Long Beach and I look out on this football field on our way up to the music building and I see the blue drums, VK's blue drums. I'm like, holy cow, VK's here. I go, Dave, David, good luck. Uh, I'll meet you in that field. <laughs> Mom, David, I'll meet you in the field. VK's right here. I'm going to go check that out. All right. Good luck. Go, go get him, Tiger. You know, so yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I walk out to the, to the field and I'm just there to watch. I'm just, you know, Googling and goggling. I'm like, oh, you know, and I had gone to a couple of night rehearsals in 85 
with um, with Dave Ramirez. And those, you know, I got to hang, and that's when I first met, uh, I think I met Kevin Murray at that time, and Dave Hinkle, and all these guys that were in, in, in VK. And, and then and I remember just, just being a fly on the wall, just being there to watch, just seeing how rehearsal went down. Soak it in. Yeah, just trying to soak it up. And uh, Matt Savage was there at the rehearsal, and he saw me watching. And he goes, hey, man. I go, oh, I go hey, 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 hey. You know? He goes, hey, so uh, he goes, so what do you think? I go, I go it's awesome. You know? He's like, uh, he goes, he goes, do you want to audition? I'm like, um, you know, that's why I'm here, right? <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, I'm like, yes, I do, you know? And he goes, all right. I said, but I wasn't really planning on this. I didn't even know you guys were going to be here. So I don't even have sticks with me. He goes, oh, we'll get you sticks. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, how cool was Matt? You know, I'm just yeah, some kid, yeah. you know? And, and he goes, all right. So then they're in some visual block and Dale Lofgren was there. And he says, okay, this is Dale, and uh, Dale is going to take you over to this bench over there, and he's going to give you an audition. I'm like, great. So we get over there, and he goes, and Dale asks me, okay, let me see some rolls, some triple rolls. Let me see some of this. Let me see some flandrags, you know, some whatever. He's asked me for some stuff. I'm doing my best to kind of chew it out. And then he goes, okay, he takes my sticks from me, and he plays on the bench, and he plays a triple roll that rocks my soul. Like, <laughs> Oh, like uh, I didn't even understand. I didn't even know that my sound was so weak. I had no clue. And right in that moment, it all came tumbling down in a good way. I'm like, oh, you know, you must teach me, you know. <laughs> and I was just like, wow, how do you get that? And we told him we were talking. He's working with me. And he's like, basically worked for me for like more than an hour, basically giving me this, this lesson. And then, well, well, before he's giving me this lesson, he's watching me for playing with me for a while. And he goes, look, here's the deal. He goes, you're not going to make it this year. He says, had you come in the beginning of the season, you probably would have made it. He goes, but at this stage, it's too late for where you're at to make the journey. You know, like, but you should definitely come next year. Yeah. And then he, yeah. and then he keeps teaching, you know, like free lesson. And I'm loving it, you know? Yeah. So like we kind of wrapping up and they're going to snare sectionals. And he goes, all right. He goes, he goes, I'll tell you what. He goes, hey, why don't you come with me? We're having a snare sectional. Let's go. Come on. I'm like, all right. So I'm hanging with him. I grab a seat and watch him working with the snare line, you know, and in that snare line is, uh, let's see, well, a bunch of good guys, but I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there on the sideline, just kind of watching Dale is teaching him. He's like, cut. He's like, you know, this is early. And then he turns around to me, he goes, Pete, he goes, it's like what I was telling you on the bench. And he starts using the snare line to further, you know, d d d you know, <laughs> illustrate you. Knowledge. some of yeah. the issues that he was telling me about. I'm like, Oh my God, how's this guy so amazing? You know? These people are so cool. It was just so great. I was so lucky to uh, meet some beautiful people that maybe they saw that I was for real in what I wanted to do, and I and, and they appreciated it. And they were just, you know, or they're just that that kind of cool people, you know. So awesome. um, it sounds just like true education, like not getting caught up in the moment of like, oh, we're competing and blah blah blah. It's like, oh, we're we're going to continue to pass the torch, like. It's not going to stop with this year. What about next year? The year after that? The year after that? Like the future? Like we got to keep the next generations, like keep it churning. And so yeah. remind me real quick did that happen in the, for the summer of 86 is when all this happened? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So then, um, and I didn't go on tour that year. So then I went to audition for VK in 87. That was my next, you know, that was going to be my first year. So that would be the summer after my junior year of high school. So I went and auditioned for VK. And it's funny, Dale in the, the auditions for VK, 
he wouldn't just let everybody grab drums and start having at it. You, you, there was a single file line and one snare on a, on a carrier. All the vets would be drumming somewhere, and it'd be a snare with a carrier. And everybody formed a single file line, and you got to pick up the drum, and he'd ask you to play stuff, and he'd let you know if you were good enough to walk over with the snares, right? Wow. <laughs> it, wasn't, so, it wasn't the clinic that it is nowadays in the first camp. This one was? No, not there. It wasn't that at that time. You know, he was just like, there were so many kids, too. Because VK was the only drum corps in Southern California, too. And there was lots of kids, plenty of, plenty of kids coming strong, plenty of jokers, a big mix of, of, of people that had no business being there and people who were good. And they just needed to, to kind of shift through everything so they could start working with what they needed to work with. You know, sure. I've been both. I've been in both of those categories at one point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sure. I think everybody has. I think, I mean, everybody, no, nobody comes out of the womb knowing how to play a flam drag. Like, it's just... No. Everybody I mean, what somewhere. you said about being like having your eyes open too. I think that's a very relatable story for a lot of people's first drum corps camp experience. Like, oh, I didn't know what I didn't know, but oh, now yeah. I do. <laughs> I mean, and, and there's a difference too. You know, like when you find that out, do you go like this? Ah, advantage me. Now I know. Yeah. You know, or do you say, oh, I didn't know. Wah, wah, meow. Yeah. You know, it's, it's two different kinds flight. of people depending on how yeah, you're going to react to it. You find out what you're made of, you know, yeah. hopefully uh, you've been raised to deal with it in a positive way that you can use that for fuel and energy and, 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 and keep going on the journey. You know, I mean, it, it definitely happened to me. My first drum corps audition was 2009. I went to blue coats and just kind of like you said, you were at your high school. I was a big fish in a small pond and I was yeah. the best kid in my high school and in the little small area around me. And, I, I thought I had a really good shot. And thinking about saying that now, knowing who was in that 09 Bluecoats line, I was like, I had no business even going to that camp. I mean, I learned a few things. You know, they cut me at the first camp, and I ended up going to, but I took it as fuel. I took it as, okay, now I know what the standard is. Now I how know. Va- how, yeah, how valuable was that for you, right, that you that you went there? People don't think you learn from from getting cut or being, or or, you know, but... Man, that perspective, like how much was that worth? Oh, a million dollars. Yeah. It was, well, not literally, obviously. I wish. But. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a great experience. And every time that I hear of some kid saying that he got cut from this group, I was like, man, watch. That's going to be the best thing that ever happened to you. Like, because I, I honestly, yeah. I almost, I went to Glassman for 09 right after for the December camp. And I knew through the college I was going to go to the snare tech there. And I hung around there for a few camps. And, but I wasn't ready to march that summer, honestly. Like physically yeah. and mentally, I was, I was young. Like I just yeah. I wasn't ready for it anyway. So it was kind of was a blessing in disguise to kind of mm-hmm. get that wake-up call. Here's the standard. Here's what you need to be able to do. All right, now you got a year. Go figure it out. Yeah. You know, but think about, you know, the, the other kid that would be in your exact situation, but would be too scared to go to that audition. Yeah. And then that kid, that kid misses out. That kid doesn't get that perspective change. That's going to fuel his, his, his practice sessions to put him in the, where he wants to be in the future for the next season. Right. Mm-hmm. Back in the grind, chopping yeah. it out. So you did 87 and 88 with Matt Savage, who still does right. his own drum camp that I yeah. have seen. Dale, Matt Savage, Dale Lofgren, um, Dave Hinkle, Eddie mm-hmm. Drayton. Um, these are the names of the guys that were on staff at, at, during, the, during those times. Um, you know, Bino Morris was around, too. 
and uh, Bobby Hoffman came was our was our core director, you know, and it was we were basically the the West Coast Bridgman, you know, it was all Bayonne people. That's pretty sweet. So it was it was a different. It was we were definitely slurred. You know, we, <laughs> we were we were East Coastish in our interp and approach. It wasn't really trying to be math, you know. And and at that time, we never played with a metronome. That wasn't standard operating procedure. It was just everybody had to listen. And uh, the drum line would breathe and drag and rush. Like if you hear some of those old Bayonne lines, that happened too. But they, they would do it the same way every time. And everybody got used to like what it was, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something cool about that too, for sure. But um, Definitely. The music that was, takes uh, on its own. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but, it, you know, with a thing like that, it's hard to be like, you know, razor sharp, clean, like like consistently because – Things can change based on mood, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what you ate for lunch? It's sitting heavy yeah. that day. <laughs> you know, sure. Uh, so, so after '88, you made the jump uh, or the switch. I don't I won't say jump, but you well, made the switch me, over to me, the uh, BD organization. Yeah. Okay. So before we jump into yeah. his BD experience, so I am very, I'm a very bad drum corps historian. I've never been that that guy that goes and learns licks from 15 years ago, 25 years ago. I so, so the only impression of the Velvet Knights that I have in my my brain is the year where like the shark ate the judge. What uh-huh. like the early like 90s. mid nineties? Has yeah. VK's vibe always been that like goofy, have fun, like still be good, or was it different? Like when you were marching I, in the late eighties. The only place that I ever marched where I worked um, at the same level of of hard of difficult of hard work. Cadets worked as hard as VK. <laughs> Devils did not. Devils was more reliant on, you know, having people tr- being treated right and being well rested and having them be talented and go do go be you, you know. Yeah. Um, whereas uh, VK was just like we were just clawing and working. Hard. I mean, even though it was a lot of fun on the field, you know, it was uh, it was like you know not enough water breaks and you know. Buses breaking down and questionable food and all that kind of, you know, that kind of stuff with some of the lower cores at times, you know. Um, I mean, there was a bus crash in 87, the whole bus. I was in a bus that caught air. I'm not kidding. (laughs) (laughs) We were asleep. I'll tell the quick story. We're we're on our way to Allentown in 87. And uh, and I remember we were going so slow. You look out the window and like, I swear you could run faster than that. Like, and we're going like that for a long time. I'm like, why are we going so slow? Like, we're not even going to get in in time. You know, you're trying to sleep. And then we pull over and there's like, there's some kind of thing. And you, you open the curtain to look out and see what the hell is going on. And I see someone walking back to the engine compartment and literally they have a rope. Okay. And I'm like, I'm not mechanically, you know, inclined, but I, I, I don't know what you could fix on a VK bus uh, with a rope. You know, like I, I don't, this seemed questionable to me. Anyway, after, um, af- after that, we start taking off, and now we're going fast as hell. I can't believe how fast we're going. I've never been this fast in a bus. I'm like, oh, wow, now we're talking. Rope you know? work. <laughs> yeah, the rope is that. It must be some great rope. And then, you know, you're <laughs> kind, of, kind of drifting off to sleep, and then it starts to feel like some kind of, you know, he's starting to wake up. It's like, hey, hey, start hearing somebody. Hey, what the hell? Hey, what's, you know? And then we hear the, the bus driver go, Mayday, Mayday, we're going down. I'm like, we're we, we, <laughs> we on a plane? What? And it's like, <laughs> like, we caught air. We went off, like the road turned 
and, and, and we did it. And we went right <laughs> off this kind of like mini, you know, kind of cliff thing. <laughs> and like, you know, at the time, like walk bands are like flying everywhere. And just like, it's just, I thought for sure somebody died. It wasn't funny at all. It was like, oh my God. So then, you know, the, the, the you know, the, the bus finishes and we're on this crazy angle like this, you know, we stop, finally stop moving. And everyone, we see these red lights that don't make any sense. We're like, what is that? Someone goes, dude, that's the other bus. So we're like, oh, you know. But I mean, people got messed up. I had I had stitches in my in my chin. I had to go to the hospital, and then I did Allentown with no no kind of rest or warm up after that. It was right from the hospital to the gig because if we didn't do the gig, they wouldn't let us do finals. Oh wow! So no we were right off well. right off the bus right to the gate. You know, we didn't even get a warm up. You know, we just went right for it so that we could at least get a score and be there for finals. Wow! And I remember I came back from the coming back from the hospital. Bobby Hoffman was there, and he saw me. He goes, "Hey man, you all right?" I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. I just want to do the gig. I, I just, I haven't had a chance to eat. I'm just, you know, I'm starving, you know. He goes, oh, he reaches into his wallet, gives me 20 bucks. He goes, go to the McDonald's, go get yourself something. Catch me, catch up with me when you can. Like, How cool are you? Yeah, yeah. He might as well give me $200 at that point, you know, like yeah, $20. Yeah. Was yeah. Like, what? You know, for me and for, for him to do that, I thought that was like just so cool. So anyway, the 87, uh, you know, in, when I was in VK, I, I thought it was amazing that we did things that were actually funny, that you're doing all year, and the comic gags still worked somehow. The magic was there, that it was uh-huh. funny. It's hard to do funny. Yeah. But it wasn't like we didn't work our butts off. But that being said, when we were at retreat, we kind of had no rules. Like, we kind of did whatever. You know, um, when we walked to the gate, we had a, a boom box on the center snare playing red hot chili peppers. That's what we did. <laughs> That's awesome. Dude, a, song, I love that. A, a, a song called freaky styly, uh, <laughs> very ex- explicit lyrics, but that's what we went to the gate, uh, rocking. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a great, it was a great time. And I remember when we first got our, our, the reaction of the crowd, cause we, we thought that the drum solo was like not that cool. We're like, this is not like Blue Devils. This is not, you know, everything felt because Matt was just writing some really interesting, cool stuff that was really, honestly, behind, kind of beyond us. Our ability to really understand how cool it was, you know. And and then when uh, when we when we did it for the crowds, and the crowds just went crazy. I mean, like people on their feet. Like I'd never heard crowd reactions, you know, like that. Like if you watch the '87 and '88. When the whole crowd starts clapping with our with our accelerando, you know, and it's like don't don't crack and don't listen to the crowd, you know, like, uh, you know, that was uh, that was incredible. We I had way more uh, crowd feedback and response and love from the crowd when I was in VK than I ever did in Blue Devils or Cadets by about a thousand. It was crazy. That's I can awesome. believe that just based on like the couple shows I have seen, I could definitely believe that being the case. It was cool stuff. It was fun. It was fun. It was like little in jokes. Like you'd be in rehearsal and someone would tell a joke and then it wound up being in the show. You know, like (laughs) it would go around the core and everybody would think it was funny. And then staff heard it and go, yeah, let's put it in. Oh, you know what we should do? Should have a shark come out. Like a lot of those ideas came out like that. You know, (laughs) that's awesome. That's awesome, though. It makes the show just very like unique to the members, like very much like their thing that they own. Yeah. It's awesome. Well, the staff was awesome too. And they had a lot of. Those were a lot of uh, unique personalities and individuals that were all working together there. Very funny people, too. So it was really awesome. I was lucky to be there when I was there, you know? Cool. That's cool. sweet. 
Very, so, very, very cool. As we've said multiple times, VK, 87, 88. Then you made the jump to BD. What motivated that? Um, when I went to VK, okay, it, I'll tell you what motivated that. 86 Blue Devils. Because I didn't go on tour that year in 86 when I was with Kingsman. But I did go to some shows. And I remember seeing uh, Blue Devils, I think, at the Riverside show. That was like my first drum corps experience, like going to a show. And here comes the 86 Blue Devils playing the fast, like, swing ride, like, you know, clean as hell. Hitting. It's like, oh, my God, 10 guys. Like, oh, like, I just <laughs> I can't even imagine that. You know, can you even imagine being in that drum line? Like, I, I would be so proud to be like just to do anything with that drama to be the roadie or to play cymbals nothing against my cymbal peeps but i just like i was a snare guy but i'm like forget snare i would do anything to be in that line then i started thinking well imagine being on the snare line and then i was like well wait imagine being in the center of that snare line it's like oh and then at that moment i kind of had my 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 epiphany I must be the center snare for Blue Devils. I must do that. That's what I'm going to do. So that, that was always goal. your holy grail. That was always it your was, goal. It was my it was my goal. And when I started marching VK, I just knew that that was the best drum line I could get into locally. But once I was there, I thought maybe I'd stay. You know, like because also at that time, there's a lot of that kind of you know you they want people members to be loyal. You don't want to be a feeder core for the other cores, and that's mm-hmm. all understandable. You know, but um. You know, I, I I went to audition when I did go to audition for Blue Devils and you look around the room and you see the other talent there. You're like, yeah, I want to march here. You know, I, I want to march where, you know, I'm nowhere near the best guy. Because yeah. That's where I have the best would have the best chance to, to learn more, you know. So it wasn't necessarily like because I must win, you know, but for me, winning was just being there. You know, for me, winning was could I achieve that goal because how many other kids said, oh, I want to be center snare for Blue Devils. And I never was. I almost was. I was going to be center snare in 91. We can get to that later. But I split center with Macintosh in 90, and that was just huge, huge, huge for me. And it was just a really fun kind of, uh, you know, feeling of like you. I set out what I had achieved to do for the most part, you know, and I was right there. I was right where I wanted to be, and that was a, that was a really good feeling. Because there's always the doubters and the haters around you, you know. Always, yeah, people, always. You know, like I remember when I went to VK audition, and then when I think it was a staff member I, who will rename unnamed at my high school. He's like, so he's like, so how to go at auditions? He goes, did you get cut? I'm like, no, you know, I didn't get cut. You know, and it's like, yeah, I made the line. Oh, where are you at? You on the end? No, I'm not on the end. And you're a dick, by the way, you know? <laughs> yeah. First asking, first question you asked me, oh, you, you know, I got just because he was such, a, he was such, being such a jerk about it, you know, like, <laughs> like, no, actually, I'm next to center, you know? You know what? Yeah, yeah. And because it, it was more perceived that way at those times that like where you were in the line was kind of like your hierarchy, which is not true, as we all know, even less nowadays because everything gets scrambled up a lot oh, yeah. anyway. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in those days, a lot of times the order stayed the order, you know, and you know the stronger players would be towards the center because you don't want a guy with a with a huge sound having a feather tap on the end to kind of get in the sound, you know. It just yeah. doesn't make yeah. make make uh, make sense for that. It'd be easier to you want to be someone that everybody can list rely on listening into, you know. So 
for sure. I have a theory about all this we can discuss later, but I want to get through cool. your, your history first before we get into some of that. Yeah, I'm, t- I'm taking too long. Sorry. No, no, no. no, no. Good, I'm, not, I'm not saying These are good stories. The interjection. No, this is awesome. You said split center, just to reiterate, because both of those BD snare lines were 10-man, right? Actually, um, 89 was, was 10 snares, but one of the snares got cut on, on tour that year, and we went to nine. Yeah, 80, 89 was kind of rough, a uh, rough for everybody, rough year. Because all the vets that were marched 88, you know, um, the vets that marched 88, they were, uh, you know, they were undefeated in drums all season and then got fourth at finals Oof. in drums. That was 88? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was with uh, Scouts one, and Vanguard was second. That Phantom of the like Opera that. show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then remember too that in '87, and there were still some vets in '89 that marched '87. You know, in '87, you know, Cadets won the High Drum Award that night with a perfect score. Yeah. Before the four P, the four-time defending champions even took the field. Yeah. Like it seemed like it should have been a pair of like leave a tenth, leave a hundredth. You know what I mean? Shouldn't you have left something in the room for the for the defending champs to have a you know have a you shot. know so 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 and whatever for all of that. That's you know hey you know things move on. I'm not I'm not crying foul. It's cool. But because of those reasons, the internally vets that marched in '88 come back and remember that that line was clean, man. That line was crazy clean, and. And they're undefeated all year. Then you get handed fourth, you know, and in finals. And then, you know, so then we come back in 89 and a lot of those guys were just really jaded. They're like, it doesn't matter. Let's just be ourselves. Be Blue Devils. Let let the chips fall where they fall. We're not thinking we're going to win or anything like that. We're not even worried about that. We're just worried about being cool like we want to be cool and do what we want to do, you know, as Blue Devils. So that that year was was pretty conflicted, pretty, pretty. And I was a rookie. So I wasn't going to say nothing. I was just happy to be there. And I was just trying to make sure I was pulling my weight and doing my job. And just, uh, but 89, there were so many things that were not right in the way that people were acting and the things that would happen in rehearsals and just shenanigans and just people not, not, it wasn't what I had always envisioned, you know, going to, going to Blue Devils. You think of it as like the Delta Force, you know, of, of drum corps, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. like, you know, all stacked. Everyone's amazing. Everybody wants to be there. Everyone does the right thing. And that's not what I found at all, you know? And then, um, so all the vets that came back for, for 90, we were all coming back with a vengeance because we wanted to set things right. Cause I didn't have to shut up anymore. I didn't care. I wanted to be section leader. I put my hat in the ring to be center snare, even though it was my, my, my second year there. And there were other vets. I didn't care. I wasn't going to say, you know, my thing was, I, I want to make friends, but that's not why I'm here. I'm I'm here for greatness. If you know friends happen along the way, awesome. But that's not like the main reason here, you know. F you, yeah. F you. Let's do this, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I respect it. I think if a lot of people have been watching this Jordan documentary too, they respect it. <laughs> yeah, it's, with that, uh, that greatness mindset, comes man. sacrifice. He said something like that. Yeah, yeah. That's a. I've been enjoying that that documentary. Oh, it's it is so funny. Good. It's it is funny killer. how much it seems like some friendly you know trash talking is always involved at the upper echelons of 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 performance oh yeah you only get to those upper upper echelons if you're competitive 
And like, if you're competitive, yeah. you're gonna trash talk. Like, you're gonna want to be it's, better than that guy standing next to you. You didn't yeah. get to that point without that kind of mindset. It's an interesting thing. Yeah, you don't, you know, you don't get it as fast as Usain Bolt with also without also being the guy to wear golden shoes to the gig. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know, there's yeah, something that, that works. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I I, uh, I went to Blue Devils in '89. That was awesome. And then '90. And 90 was really a special line. It's a great group. Uh, just, I remember just being so proud to be in that line. And I just, I, and I remember rehearsals just being really fun. You know, just fun. It was, it was, it was always, it was fun. It wasn't ever a drag. It was just, I loved it. It was great. And like we'd play some, I swear to you, we would read stuff the first day and it was clean. <laughs> first gotta take. Be a good feeling. First take. Um, you know, you, you run it, everybody's getting music at exactly the same time because there's no computer stuff. It's all handwritten float scores that we would then be in a classroom like reading down, going for it. We finally got music and we're, we're getting in there, you know, and then, uh, yeah, yeah, like that, you know, like, give me a good summer. It was, yeah, it was like, it was like that. We would play and everybody would just look at each other like, yeah, uh huh, you know, like it was so cool to finally be in a situation like that after working so hard for just trying to get stuff happening and feeling like you can't get it happening and, you know, being in VK, getting seriously hosed, you know, getting all those left hands taken out, you know, scarring you like, remember that part you used to play? It's out, you know, ah, you know, <laughs> you know, happens to all of us. Right. Yeah. And then that year, point. that year it would be like, I mean, I have a video of us rehearsing uh, and it's like on tour and it wasn't like early either. I don't think it was that early, but we're rehearsing the, all the rack Tom stuff. And then you hear float, you know, float on the mic going, "Yo, Mike, can you guys single stick that?" And you hear, you hear Mike go, "Sure, all right, it's in." So then the next time we're single sticking, so we change the sticking. No one goes, "Hey, wait, can we run it a few times?" No, 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 no. it's in. You know, the <laughs> idea, a, like, yeah, you know, change on it on the, the way to the, change it on the way to the gate. We don't care. We can do it. We got heads. You know, like, <laughs> it's a good, good spot to be in. It's a real good spot to yeah. be in. So you're fun. talking, you're talking about this like awesome summer where just like everything's clicking and dudes are just gelling and jamming and playing super well together. But you left. Yeah. So yeah. what was the uh, what was the thinking or decision behind that to go from West Coast to East Coast? You know, the you know Blue Devils organization is amazing, right? And and um. They've had so much success. And then, you know, they had these great drum lines. The 90 Blue Devils was a great drum line. And th I think they honestly thought it was great too. And then part of their, you know, thought process has to be, look, if we're going to be that good and still get fourth place, we're doing something wrong. So they thought they needed to make, they really felt they needed, they didn't feel as successful as they wanted to be from the percussion standpoint. And they decided to make a change. So they got rid of the floats and it, it was a, uh, it was not a super smooth transition, to say the least. I, I, I don't know that I can share everything about this story. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, this could for be, sure. This could be its own podcast. But let me just say this, that, that um, you know, we were cocky and young and, and, and did not know how to deal with um, conflict uh, the right way professionally. So it was just a, a rough time and we, and a lot of people, you know, we, 
a lot, a bunch of us decided to kind of quit and stay in town though, but just quit. And, um, so they had a camp and none of the drums showed up and they're like, uh Oh, cause we're like, they don't realize, you know, and we don't want it to go away. We want to do blue devils, but this is just not going to be, they need to make some changes and, and they're, they're not listening to us. So we tried to talk louder and in our, our, our attempt to talk louder, it just, you know, fell on, it was not, we're not, it wasn't done the right way. So at the end of the day, the reason why I left was, you know, they got rid of the floats and it was not a, a clean break. It wasn't, it didn't feel kind of respectful of what was really there, you know, from our perspective. And um, we don't obviously only know, we know nothing. We're not there. We don't know how they're all interacting on staff, all, you know, but it just felt really bad to us. And I, uh, I knew I was not going to finish out my drum corps career there. And I was finally center stare, you know. <laughs> so I finally had the one ring to rule them all. I was so, I was ready. <laughs> I knew what I wanted to do. And I was, I was, I was so hyped for that. And then, and, and also that year was going to be ridiculous with the drum line. Because like Vanguard's best guys said, you know what, let's just go to Blue Devils. And they came over. And like Freelancer's best dude came over, VK's guys came over, and was like the West Coast All Stars. The snare line was ridiculous, and uh, you know people kind of went their separate ways. Those guys went back to Vanguard. Um, I decided if I'm going to march my last year, I wanted to get the most out of it, and I thought the best way for me to get the most out of it would be to march in a group that was the least touched by any Anaheim Kingsmen. <laughs> Um, not that there was anything against the Kingsman, but I just wanted to do something totally different. Yeah. And I felt like the cadets at that time were kind of like the anti-Blue Devils, you know? It's like we were we were dangling earrings and mullets and jazz, and they were like short, higher, high, you know, haircuts and no oh, earrings good. and Americana, uh, you know, and 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 uh, you know, and classical music, you know, like you know, we march on the left, they march on the right. I'm like, what better way to get them, you know, the, you know, my last year to have me meaning? And to do the exact opposite, so I can get that perspective of what I've what what this whole thing has been to me. You know, that was my sure. thinking. And um, how many people went with you? It was four originally, but uh, only two stayed. Okay, um, four went, and then two just found it like to be where they were like, nah, I can't. You know, yeah, like, like too you different. know, it was a little too different because we didn't really, you know, when I was in Blue Devils drumline, like we 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 kind of stood at attention. <laughs> attention was just like okay, you everybody knew that you needed to be there and it was just like and everyone would just be kind of there enough we're listening and enough you know it wasn't like yes sir we weren't that we yeah, we, we sure. were we, we weren't on that side of things um it was definitely more um kind of casual but but pro you know was that was the the vibe you know, for and sure. some of the guys, you know, down for 10, you know, down for 50, you know, because you miss something. And, you know, we're, we're in a drum, you know, early uh, rehearsals or whatever. And the Blue Devil guys, we, we never did shups or laps. We it wasn't that we didn't do it that way. Yeah. It, it wasn't like that sucks. Drop and give me 50. It was like, hey, this isn't good. Did we write it wrong? Because you guys are awesome. How could this be dirty with guys <laughs> like you? Yeah. It was so coming from such uh -huh. a different place, you know, Um where cadets would be like, figure it out, you know, and, you know, and then like guys would work on it a bunch and other guys would help other guys. And 
staff would help them after, but sometimes it was really almost like that feeling like every error is just must be someone who doesn't care right now. You know, someone's <laughs> ruined, someone's ruining my year. And now I'm going to, you know, they, they think they're, they're getting away with this, you know, like nobody wants to play dirty man, you know, like, yeah. you know, uh, so it was, that was, that was a, a trip. It was just a different culture uh, thing, but it was like, okay for me like you know i i had issues you know learning the style a little bit of course and and but but you know also at that time there was a there was like almost a little bit of a debate where they were saying like look what blue devils do is awesome and it's really great it's amazing right and what cadets do is awesome and it's great and it's amazing but you can't take a guy from cadets and just he wouldn't be able to do what blue devils do and a guy from blue devils wouldn't be able to just go do what what guys do in cadets and my cocky ass i was just like you're half right. <laughs> I was like, our, we can do anything. Like, hey, we don't write the drill. You think we want to march around like on the 50? That's not our call, buddy. <laughs> you know, fly us around. We'll play the beats. You know what I mean? Like we weren't we weren't not wanting to because that was a rap back then that we just didn't have those skills. We weren't moving around. But, you know, there was more of a changing of, of, of and the activity really changed tempo wise, you know. Vocabulary changed, you know, because tempos got so much faster. There's no one really playing stuff at 130 or 120, or you know, you know, those tempos almost don't exist anymore. Yeah, that early 90s, I feel like, is was a very transformational period for drum corps. Like, I feel like 2016 recently was a pretty like cut and dry. Like, all right, drum corps is now different. Like the couple first years of the 90s were kind of like that with the tempos, like you're talking about. It then developed into that more like run and gun style drum corps as you yeah, got my, moved farther and farther through the 90s. Yeah, my era was definitely a lot of change. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, from, from 87 to, to 91 was definitely, a, a, you know, some change going on. But I mean, it's, it's always been that way too, right? I mean, there's always been change. And it always feels like the biggest change is the one you were part of, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I, 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 you know, at the end of the day, you know, I regretted all the stuff that went down. I wish that there was a way that we could have expressed ourselves and, and, um, and not had to have left, you know, blue devils. But, um, you know, at the, at, at the end of the day, like, because I left, I got a chance to work with Tom Ungst and the staff at, at, at cadets. And I got to learn so much from being over there and doing things differently and I grew a lot because I had to do, you know, the one thing is like, like people think about, you know, if you think about what we played when I was in Blue Devils, like some of, some of the licks, um, sorry, low battery, um, you know, some of the licks we would play or some of the parts and people go, oh man, those parts are so beefy. They're so hard. You know, the thing when people want to talk about is like the difficulty, but like that stuff is not hard if, if you can do it, that's only hard if you can't do it, you know? And then if you can do it, it's just fun. You get to do it, you know? But it's like you throw some flam drags, like what? There's no accent on the diddle or on the on the note after the immediately after the flam. This is just regular flam drags. Okay, cool. That's not tough. That's not tough once you can do it, you know. And I, I really felt a different level of difficulty. You know, I never once when I was playing blue doubles was I playing anything thinking it was hard. We could do a lot more than what was there. It was just fun, you know? And then um, when I was in cadets, there was other things that were hard. Every night was hard because it was just, but on its face, you would think it's not as difficult, you know? Yeah. The the hardest part, 
Harvard hardest part I ever played was this thing in, in uh, I think it was in uh, yeah Prelude Prelude Fugue and Riffs I believe no or yeah I think it was in Prelude Fugue and Riffs or it was uh, no 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 I don't know it was ninety one okay <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we had this part and I remember it was we were it was one of the first parts I learned when I was in Cadets. And got to play with like you know, and we never got to hear like what the whole thing sounds like. You just learn the snare part, and you don't even know what the horns are doing. You just like okay, this just sounds like a bunch of random beats. I found it really hard to memorize their stuff versus memorizing the uh, Tom float beats. It felt like really natural for me to memorize float beats, but memorizing the cadet stuff because it was minimalism. It was, some of the stuff felt randomish. Like why? Like I didn't know what it. I was really curious. Was what else fit. is going on? Like what? What does this go to? Right. So you're learning this part, and then anyway, this was the part. It was all on the edge, and it was quiet. And I remember also learning what our feet were, right? So it's like, it's and I still remember that part because I remember working on the feet, and the feet were. The feet really added to it for me. It was it was and trying to do the, the you know, just stick that foot out and keep your weight back on the other foot. Just the, the physical challenge and trying to keep all that quiet. That never got easy. That was hard every night. You know, yeah. um, and then and then the first time we played it, you hear that the tenors are playing exactly what we're playing, but an eighth note later. You know, and it's like I'm like I'm like oh shit! I'm just trying to keep my stuff together because <laughs> yeah. like it's, it's like, the first time attention. we're playing. I'm starting to laugh. I don't want to laugh. They don't they don't know me yet. They're gonna think me I'm a jerk or something. Like I want to laugh because I can't believe how cool it is. And then you hear the horn line come in and you're like, I'm like, what? <laughs> and I was just like, I can't believe we're playing something like this. And it just made me laugh. I had to back off the drum and I was just laughing. And they're looking at me like, What are you doing? I'm like, I'm sorry. I go, This is what I came here for. Stuff like this. This is so cadetti. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> and I said, I'm really sorry. I couldn't contain it, you know. And and I think like once they realized like I wasn't a blue devil spy, that I was just an honest battler, you know, they the hairy eye the hairy eyeball would stop, you know. But at first everybody was like looking at me like, you know, it's kind of funny. Some of them were. Some of them were. Some of them a lot of them were super cool too, and they were just glad and they were they they'd give it up about blue devils from the year before. And some guys are like, Why are you here? You guys were awesome, you know. And we would talk about it, and, and it was it was it was uh, it was cool. It was it was interesting. You go to a show, and you're like, "Hey, who's who's judging tonight?" You know, and then someone goes, "Scott Coder," and me and the other guy that came from Blue Devils were like, "Oh." Then all the all the cadets are like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Oh, oh, oh." <laughs> that's good for us. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm on the other team. You like him? Oh, that's right. He he likes you. <laughs> and I shoveled some dirt in those people's faces and the cadets, like, man. Like, dirt like you don't even believe and they took it and they're like yes there's yeah i'm like what i heard those judging tapes i'm like what aren't you the same guy that was giving us crap on our inverted cheese saying our grace notes were gray (laughs) how dare you that is so valid how dare you we just shoveled some paradiddle diddles and it wasn't clean you and i know it you know it was like wow 
that was trippy, you know. Uh, that that at least that's how it felt to me. You know, it was like it was still feels it was, like uh, that in some regards today. It still does. Evan has a library of finals judges tapes that people have sent him, and he's accumulated in a Dropbox. There's a lot of that that's happened even recently. Yeah. You just sure. hear like they just give him the benefit of the doubt. Like a group will like chow something, and the judge is like completely ignored. It's like, did you do you not have ears? Like, right. Oh, that was so musical. I'm like, but you know, like, it's super easy to. Clean? It is super easy to, to armchair quarterback that when you're in oh, that's it true. and, that's and you're true. doing it, you know, the, the, the responsibility. And I don't think those guys take it lightly. It's not easy, you know, not and, 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 you know, you're, you're watching one thing and then you never caught that thing. Cause you were all in to notice this thing. And, and, you know, it's, I mean, it, the it, it happens that I have to listen to them on rewind, to pause and rewind versus like a one time read in real life time. Like there in person is just completely different. Yeah. Yeah. So, and just you think about too. So these these groups are all so great. Then they're just really trying to split hairs about like, you know, you know, you're comparing apples and oranges, and you're trying to say, you know, you know, at a certain point, what what do you think should really get the nod? So yeah, that's for it's, sure. It's it's not easy. I've done some judging, and I, I like to keep on doing judging and try to get better out of myself. You know, I know what it feels like to feel like you didn't get a a fair deal. You know, I know the the pain that that can cause when you're firing up the dream crusher you know <laughs> and you're sitting down to judge and you're like all right you know but uh somebody's gonna be happy and somebody's not sometimes you know that's how it goes and sometimes you look back and you're like do i really believe that you know like yeah i do or sometimes you're like mm, maybe I, I got that one wrong or you know it's 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 a tough thing when you're in in the moment and you're up against the clock and you're trying to put it all down and give everybody their due you know Oh, definitely. Sure. Definitely. So speaking of like the other side of things, so then you had after marching and aging out with the cadets in ninety one, uh, you've gone on to teach I don't know, you taught VK, uh, you taught a group in Japan for a yeah. while, troopers, caption head and ranger, uh, Yamoto, um, in two thousand five, RCC had a long stint there of years. I guess take us through spend a ton of time but through some of that stuff i know you said in one of the bio biography things in the book you wrote which i want to hit that you wrote some of your licks while you're in japan like just in between shows and stuff like that um what was that kind of like timeline like or getting into some of these things and being in japan and just writing and working with all these different groups um well i i taught vk in 92 with float and that was like you know that was a huge another huge honor you know that yeah i'm sitting here trying to teach you know four two one i'm trying i'm teaching the grid to these kids and then float walks up you know and i'm like and ladies and gentlemen float tom float will, who invented all of this <laughs> will, yeah. will now will now take over and do a better job and floats like no man keep going you know i'm like i used to like watching you know, over your shoulder almost yeah you know like i'm gonna talk about electricity and edison's behind me you know like yeah shouldn't you shouldn't you be giving this like you know you know but um, that was huge. That was that was amazing, and uh, it was really fun. I learned a lot that summer too. Um, and then uh, sometime after that, I started to uh, play at Disney. Um, and the Disney had a, 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 a the Magic Kingdom Court, Disneyland in California, which is a, a, a kind of a copy of what they started in Florida called the Future Core mm-hmm. at Epcot. And yeah. it was, I think it was like twelve horns, something like that, and three percussion. And uh, it was almost like one on a part and, yeah. uh, you know, a triple bass 
and uh, and, a, and a snare and a tenor and playing all these old drum corps classics. It was really it was the great gig in the sky. It really was. It was the best thing you could have ever done. And all the people, all the players were amazing guys that you know. So the guys that didn't march, it was cool because they were just so great. Who cares? You know, like these guys. There were some great guys that that played in those groups that weren't drum corps guys. But then the drum corps guys were all great dudes too, and it was just a uh, really talented group, really fun group to be in. Um, so, um, and then uh, somewhere after that, I was the drum sub for that group. So I didn't, I didn't have the gig. I was the drum sub. So I knew every song the group played on snare and on triple bass. So this way, if I was subbing, they could do any song. Utility like, player. Because they could switch other people yeah. and, and, and the full catalog is still available. Sometimes we'd get a sub and you knew you, that all day you had to play the same three songs because that was the only songs that sub knew. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, You know, so it was uh, it was awesome that they were able to get me on there as, as, the, as the main drum sub. And I, and I got to do a lot of work because of that, too. And then um, uh, Float had this idea for this thing called the Trash Can Trio. And because they were putting in the Indiana Jones ride and the thought was that place is going to be really congested. And if we were dressed up like custodial you know, in the whites and we push out these rolling metal trash cans, someone blows a whistle. We yell, it's break time. We all come together and we start jamming, you know, and, and playing all this drum, the drum stuff and stick tosses and, you know, and just rouse the dazzle and just really high energy, kick their ass, you know, kind of show uh, right on the street, right on street level out of nowhere. And then we all go back backstage and it looks like, we're custodians that all of a sudden, you know, are super, super talented, right? Yeah, yeah. So we worked out, it was Float's idea, and then we worked on it. It was me, Float, and Vern Johnson, and we, we worked out, I worked on it, um, you know, with him at his house uh, and in L.A. And, and just put it together, spent some time, maybe more than a month of just getting together regularly to, to try to work it out with the intention of pitching it to Disney. So then Float got us the, uh, you know, the meeting, and then we played backstage. Hey, we want to show you what we got. So we played for our bosses backstage. Here's the Trash Can Trio. And we yeah. come out, hey, we do our thing. We're like, yeah, you know, you finish your gig. And they're all looking at you like, wow, guys, that's really great. Keep it up. Awesome. And we're like, what does that mean, keep it up? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> so like, we do don't we have do jobs. Yeah, like we're here for jobs, man, you know. And then, uh, and then we like, well, we don't know what that means, but we'll see what happens. And then we'd get called, hey, we want you to come back and do that thing for us again backstage. Uh, we want you to play for a couple more people. Okay. So we go another – and this kept on happening. And we play for our bosses and their bosses. And then yeah. our bosses, their bosses, and their bosses. And everyone sees, guys, great work. Keep it up. We're like, dude, like like, like all of this was free. Did you know, like pull the trigger on this? Yeah. yeah. You know? And then um, we, we came in one, one last time to do the gig. And there was guys from Florida that were out, and, they, and we played for them. And they go, my God, this is amazing. They go, how long has this been in the park? He goes, oh, we're just experimenting. It's not in. He goes, it's not in yet. He goes, put it in. They're ready. <laughs> and as a, as a matter of fact, we want one too. We want to put this in our in our in, in, in Orlando. So, um, and they really helped kind of think push it over the edge because I think the California guys realized that it might be worth going for it. Oh, we've been sitting on this thing here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like they, they just didn't want to, I guess, take the risk, you know, or because it was so different. And it was yeah. a really high energy show, but really short. 
and all the union gigs at Disney, it's like you play for 40 minutes or something or 30 minutes and then you have 30 or 40 minutes off and then you play again. So it's like, how do you deal with this set that's like seven minutes long? Yeah, you know, yeah. But, but we're jumping around and going crazy for seven minutes. So we were like, well, it's we're not sitting down on the grandstand up there. You know what I mean? Like we're on the street level. Interacting. Yeah, seem like you know. Don't you need to, you know? But it's just when you're trying to deal with corporate things and and entertainment, how sometimes they they need to shoehorn everything to fit their same model, and they don't know how to adjust. You know, very conservative decision making. Right. So then they they started that gig, and then um, I was on that gig, and that was amazing. That was really cool. It wound up being Mike Langans, who was a, a guy who played tenors for VK when Float was there and when I was there, and um, he came on board because. You know, Vern was in the Magic Kingdom Corps, and the Magic Kingdom Corps was a steady gig. It was a full-time steady gig, So, and we were experimental. So there's no way you're going to leave one steady gig to go to an experimental gig. Yeah. So we had to, you know, even though Vern was the guy. So we brought on Mike Langas, and he did an awesome job, and he, you know, it, was per, it was the perfect guy to come in and, and do that. with. And, and so I'm playing at Disneyland with Tom Float, me, Tom Float, and Mike Langans, and we're there to rock the house seven times a day, um, you know, right on the street. All kinds of shenanigans in the break room, playing Bomberman and Mario Kart, and uh, it was a blast. It was a great time. And uh, yeah. when I was uh, playing the show one time, these guys came up to us, and they were from Orlando, and they said, "Hey, we're from Orlando. You know, we, we work at the park in Orlando. We're um, head of entertainment and doing this, and we're I'm putting I'm staffing. We're putting together a group to go to Japan and do this at Tokyo Disneyland." You know, and I'm like, oh my, you know, we're just on, we're right there on stage or, or, you know, barely off stage, just talking to them, you know, like we talk, we mingle with the people after. And I go, I go, oh man, that's awesome. I've always wanted to go to Japan. I, I, I've never been to Japan. And then he's like, there's all you, he goes, oh, you want to go to Japan? I'm like, yeah. He goes, well, when can you go? I'm like, how about yesterday? <laughs> and then Flo goes, whoa, 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 whoa. He was right. You know, like, whoa, you know, we don't have a drum sub. Like what, you know, like, well, you know, hey, you know pump the brakes a little bit here what's going on so um we uh long story short i did not get to go because disney would not let me go and fill my job which had turned into a full-time job they wouldn't fill my job with a temporary sub so i could have my job back when i got back from the disney contract which was eight months long uh so i was bummed about that because i had this opportunity i could have gone they wanted me to go but i couldn't go you know, so it's like I was too valuable to the company and I lost because of it. That felt uh, kind of crappy. Yeah, weird. So I, you know, it's because it's not really one company. You know, the Disneyland in, 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 in Tokyo is kind of a separate thing from all the Disneylands are a little bit separate, you know. So I, 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 call, I got on the phone and I just talked to I think I talked to the right people. And I just said, you know, if this opportunity comes up, I would I wish I could say yes, because I how else? I, I, it's amazing if I get a chance to go to Japan. I would love to go to Japan. And this is, you know, if there's any way that this could happen, you know, where you could fill my, my, my position with a temporary sub and then the trash can trio is stronger because now we've got a sub that's been on the gig. And if someone's sick, they can come back and not be like, you know, not be uncomfortable because they've had enough reps because I've been gone for eight months, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, and then it happened for me the next year, the next year they called me up, Hey, they're putting together the group in Tokyo and we want you to go and you can have your job back when you come. And they do, it was just, it was, it was just all green lights in the town. So then I got to go to Japan for eight months and I had an amazing time, uh, saved no money whatsoever and just really, <laughs> really got into it and had a blast. And then um, 
I came back. And um, when I was there on one of the trips, Mad- uh, Future Court in Orlando, um, they v- were visiting Japan. They had a Japan visit somehow. And we all hooked up and they came to our house, uh, Trash Can Trio's house in, in, in Tokyo. And we all got to hang out on the town a little bit and just, just you know, hang while we were there. And these are all drum corps guys that we all know. Uh, Rich Viano was one of them. He marched in Star of Indiana when I was in Blue Devils. And he was in Suncoast when I was in VK. And I, we met each other when I was in VK. We were friends, you know. And uh, uh, Lee Hansen, he played tenors for Phantom Regiment and he for years. And he was there with Tanner. Just, just all great dudes. And we had a great time there. And um, also while I was there, Scott Johnson and, and all the Blue Crew was out teaching a drum corps in Japan called the Soka Renaissance Vanguard, a very well-funded uh, group. They're kind of based on a Buddhist thing and they, you know, where the, the, the members all need to spend a certain amount of their lives like dealing, you know, in the arts. And so it's, and there's multiple groups like that. Like Aimachi is a similar group and it's kind of like a different faction of Buddhist Buddhism kind of hang. And it's a little bit, uh, it's almost like the Vatican has a drum corps and, you know, they're funded by the, <laughs> you know, it's like a little bit like that. Like these groups are both very serious about competing against each other. And, you know, Soko wants to beat, uh, you know, Aimachi and they feel like it proves that their, their flavor is correct, you know? But all the Blue Devil guys taught there along, and Ralph Hardiman, and 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 I remember reaching out. I can't remember who I reached out to. Probably Scott. Just you know, like I'm in town for like eight months. I know there's some drum corps. I'd be happy to. I have time. I could get out there and teach. And then you know we worked it out. And I would you know boogie down on the get on get on the trains and, to, and get, make my make my way to where they were rehearsing. And I would be their snare tech and work with their snares. And it's just drum corps, drum corps, you know? And it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really cool for them because it wasn't like you could have a local guy that had this experience just be there, you know? And uh, it was great working with those those members. And I got to work with them. I remember one time I was at rehearsal and Wayne Downey and all, all these people are here, right? And Dave Glide and uh, Ralph Hardiman was even there at that time. And Scott Johnson, and I, and just not thinking, you know, I, I find myself in the box. I'm up there, and everybody's in the box. And we're, I'm, I'm looking down, checking it out. You know, Wayne looks behind him, and he sees, like, you know, it's a who's who behind him of drum guys, you know. And he looks right at me. He goes, I don't know, Pete, do you think maybe somebody should be down on the flu- on the field level? <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I'm like, my bad. I'm out of here, you know. What am I thinking? That's my. That's on me, guys. My fault. I'm out of here. Peace out. You know, like, what am I thinking? Like, I need to be in the box of Dave Glide, Ralph Hardiman, Scott John. I, I need to get out of the box. You know, it's okay. <laughs> They've got it handled, you know. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, so you were there with that. Was it for three years? Because totally? um, I did. Yeah, you know, I did three different contracts with okay. with, uh, with Tokyo Disneyland. Um, and on those contracts, uh, first one was eight months and the other two were for six months each. Gotcha. And so while I was there, I was already there. They didn't have to fly me out. I'm there. You know, I got to to work with the group, and that was that was a really fun experience. Checking out what drum corps was like in Japan. You know, the field is different, and just the whole hang is is, is really different. Yeah, but, yeah. But some really good players too. You know, and it's great to that was that was that was fun. Their drums were really amazing. They had some awesome Yamahas that were not available in the states. And I don't know. <laughs> oh. I don't know what kind of uh, magic they put into those drums, but 
they they didn't sound like the ones in in, in the states. They were like they they were godlike. Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, it wasn't just the tuning. There's something about those drums, but I don't think they get to talk about it because it's like proprietary and it's different. It's like you yeah, can't yeah. really whatever it was, you can't do it in the states or something. Like it's not feasible. But woof, those drums sounded good. I remember that. Paul's listening. He's gonna have to give us his secrets. He yeah. Be a mom. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, cool. Uh, I'll, for the sake of time, we'll do a little bit of a time jump here. Um, so you did the Troopers thing from 02 to 04, Captain yes. Ranger. Ranger. Um, in your time, too, I guess, with RCC from 2004 to 2010, just from me personally playing through some of the things that you've written, like the Jedi Knight and uh, M-Theory and stuff like that, did you have access to like writing like feature moments and stuff like that for the group? No, 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 no. There's one, there's one, there's one that reminds me of a little bit of a flavor from that, the 06 Missy Elliott, uh, snare feature. I was like, this seems very like Pete stuff that I've learned. (laughs) I, you know, no, but I think like, you know, like, like, uh, RCC did play Jedi Knight Mm -hmm. and, and and they did, we did play some of the, some of my stuff. You know, I think we might've even handed out strong beach and some of the other things. And, and, but like, you know, you don't have that much time in the indoor to really perfect yeah, this not thing that that's a yeah. side. It's a side act. It's not even in the show. Just for you know what fun. I mean? Yeah. So that stuff wouldn't. You know, there's just so much you can do those kinds of things. And um, I mean, Sean. You know, Sean Vega and those guys. You know, like I love Sean, and he, you know, had that just wrapped up, and they did so much cool stuff. Like you know, they 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 were all, they were all over it, and it's just not really necessary. But like. I think some of the stuff you could tell, you know, maybe there was a little bit of influence in there too. You know what I mean? Like we were, you know, we were, we were living in the same universe. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. So sure. it's, it's like, you know, everyone's influencing everybody, you know, part of that stuff that I was, that I write too is also influenced by the stuff I'd see RCC plan, you know? So, you know, it was like, we're, you know, we're bros. It's all, it's, 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 it's good. I, I never felt like, Oh, you got to let me write. I, I never really felt like that there at all. You, know? yeah, you were more so of cool. like a, you were more of just like a snare tech or a battery coordinator type yeah. role. No, I was like snare tech. Okay. I was, I was there to keep those snare egos in check. <laughs> <laughs> There's They're some really real. good years in there. Yeah, those guys were sure. awesome. Those guys were great. 2009, the total those, show. Those guys were so great. And it was so much fun teaching there. I, I regret not being able to continue there. It's just, I couldn't keep on going because of just trying to be there when they needed me there and trying to balance that with my high school gigs. Yeah. And, you know, that my high school gigs are the ones that pay me 12 months out of the year. And I do this oh, for oh, a yeah. living. For sure. And I just, you know, for me to, 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 to cut down the high school gigs so that I could be there for what I, you know, what they needed someone to be there for, the economics of it just couldn't really work out. And that was like a sad realization for me. I, I didn't want to not be with them, you know, mm-hmm. but that's kind of what it, what it had to be. So yeah, that was a bummer, but I had such a blast there and I still feel like we're all family, you know? So yeah, obviously it's always difficult when you got to walk away from a group like RCC with just a wealth of talent and just fun experiences, but it, it just, it's inevitably happened for, like you said, economics, just one and one don't equal two anymore. So you gotta, you gotta move on yeah. and uh, do your thing. Obviously high school, like you said, is year round. And then you've also, uh, you had sent Mike and I a copy of a, a book you wrote that I want to touch on just real quick too, before we, uh, before we wrap up. Um, so you decided to write, I guess it's like an all encompassing. I looked through the whole thing from basically beginning to end. 
uh, with a lot of verbiage, which I think is lacking in a lot of books too, that explain, as you said, the, what was it? The how, the why, and the what, was that what yeah. it was? That's what, yeah. it, that, that struck me, the verbiage is what struck me about the book that differentiates it from a lot of other like technique books, I guess, if you want to classify it as that. Yeah. Thanks. What was the, uh, what was your kind of motivation or like, I guess, inspiration to take on that project? You know, I started this, you know, more than 20 years ago because when I was coming up, like we talked about how so much of our activity, the, the knowledge is kind of handed down and it's not really written down. Just like how someone can come out of college and be a great percussionist doesn't mean you're making the Blue Devils. Right. Like you might have a degree, but you don't have those chops. You know, you don't have that ability because they're not, this stuff is not really written down. It wasn't really, you know, but there is this, uh, you know, Mike Jackson and a friend of mine, he said, uh, you know, he mentioned, he called it like tribal knowledge. And it's so true. It's like these things that we just assume everyone should know, you know, like you say, play eight on a hand and someone says, what? Then like, you're out, you know, like you're not, or why? like you, you should know that, you know, and also just so, you know, there was things floating around and I always wanted to save them so that I could have them. And I've been like just putting them into because I've also I've been teaching for so long and you want to pass it on. And then you just like get tired of saying the same thing over and over again. And you're like, I wish there was a book. There's not really a perfect book. You know, so I tried to make kind of scratch my own itch and make the book that I love to teach out of that covers all the things that I want to talk about in the way I want to talk about them. And for people to know, cause I don't know how many times I've seen drum lines play exercises that obviously they don't know why they're playing that exercise, you know, like they'll produce it like it's a piece of music, but they're not getting the benefit from playing it so much because they don't realize the whole point is how much they're bouncing these mm-hmm. notes or how much they're, they're playing this part staccato or, you know, what, you know, what it is they're trying to get from playing it. You know, see people playing like like roving accents, you know, and they're not marking time. They're not moving their heads. They're not tapping a the foot. They're like, they don't know what they're doing at all. You see feet all yeah. over the place where they say, oh, we don't, you know, I see a drum line. They're playing triplet accent. Hey, can you guys mark time to that? And they go, oh, we don't mark time to that. The, the feet are just all over the place. I'm like, why you play that then? You know, like <laughs> marching band. You yeah. know, no, but I mean, not that that's, you know, not that I want to move my feet to everything. But I mean, we, we just, I, I, we did that when I was at RCC too, of just saying like, can I, like, we don't have to mark time, but can everyone just stomp a foot? Like, let's bring, like, because it's all about the relationship of the pulse and how that collides against the rhythms that we're doing. And I yeah. feel like that's when you get that real understanding, you know, like, like if you're playing a quarter note triplet, how many people know that it's the first partial of a triple triplet? eighth note triplet the third partial of an eighth note triplet and the middle partial of the next triplet so it's got 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 ah that's what a quarter note triplet is it's yes. not just hold your breath listen around you and play three slow notes yeah for sure you know i think that that was one of the things that struck me even i, I didn't read the whole thing just because you said it earlier and I haven't had a chance to yet but in getting to the why like why are we playing this and you even said what you just said like this isn't music this is exercise. It's meant to work on this. It's meant to build this skill set for this, for this, for this. Uh, I think that's important for people to know, especially in the age of like Instagram and YouTube where you can just kind of access anything. You can't always skip steps 
to get to where to where you want to be. Um, there is a process. There is a stepping stone to get to this skill set to be able to play this next skill set with a lot of high quality. Because I, I know you said that at the end too. You don't always pass out some of those like Ram ninety and uh, sprees and stuff just because if you can't play it well. Like, what's really the point of you playing it? So yeah, sometimes you feel like, am I contributing to this player having problems? Because like you're trying to tackle this thing and you're not ready for it. So now you're going to use your jacked technique to play this stuff and you're squeezing the sticks too tight and you're getting good at doing it. Uh Oh yeah. You know, now, now you gotta, you have trouble letting go and, and, and learning. Now you have to unlearn everything you learned. And, and some people don't want to do that because they feel like it's not, I'm not that far off. So, uh, but I mean, like at the same time, like people got to go for it and see what's out there and try different stuff, you know? So it's, uh, like, but I, I think we all learn differently and, and everyone teaches differently. It's, and even though we all almost get to, all these top drum cores and, and indoor lines kind of get to the same place, like ability wise and close to the same place. It's interesting how people just teach it. It's all over the place. Everyone's really different. Yeah. You know, people stress different things. It's not like everyone there's not some standard pedagogy that everyone goes through you know um and that's kind of my attempt at the book of just filling in that knowledge that everyone should know because even if the kids don't all know this i guarantee you all the instructors know the stuff from the book you know yeah, like, yeah. uh-huh oh, and we I keep calling it the book what's the name of it yeah what's the name uh drumline essentials all right and if anybody wants to find it where can they find it at drumlineessentials.com that's there the website I made for it. And I'm just self-publishing. Uh, Tapspace didn't want to call me back, so I'm moving forward. <laughs> there you go. I like the visualizations in there, especially like the uh, the like lever changes and the pivot motions with all the, the uh, stick angles and stuff. It looks really cool. And then also one of the other cool parts that I really liked about it too was the uh, even though they are exercises, doesn't mean they can't be fun. You included the, uh, the list of different tracks of songs like in their tempos just like pop charts or like michael jackson or lenny kravitz and stuff on there so i was like oh that's really fun because i used to do that too but i'll just like google songs at 120 bpm (laughs) Uh uh-huh uh-huh yeah you know i and i i kind of like trying to do two-pronged attack there like i want the kids to be aware of some music that i like you know that that i think this is good. I don't care who you are. This is good. You know, like it's not the greatest song in the world. It's just a tribute. No, but you know that some of these songs, they're just, they're fun to listen to. And it's a lot more fun to play 16th note timing with Lenny Kravitz. Cause when you blow it, you, you feel extra shame. Cause it's not, just, <laughs> it's not Groove just assassin. Yeah. Yeah. Groove you, assassins. You blew it. You're, you're kicked out of the studio. Like he just wanted you on the hi hat and now you're out, you know, like you, you know, <laughs> I'd say uh, when I was in Japan, I had a really great friend of mine. His name was Taka, and he was actually a record producer His his uh, and a backup singer. But his, he worked in this really great, amazing studio in Tokyo that was, you know, bringing in like Steve Gadd to do drums on a track. Like like they had wow. that kind of budget to do things. Yeah. And like his wife worked at Disney as a dancer. And that's how we met. And we just became he's like my brother from another mother. And I had this ridiculous level of access to amazing things that I should had no business being there, you know? And, um, I was with him at the studio. The studio is in, in Kariwazawa. I'm probably saying that wrong. This area that's in Japan, that's kind of a, a golf kind of 
more rural kind of, you know, like golf courses and, and like a vacation spot. And to get there, you feel like you're going through these trees. It doesn't really look like a road. It's like wet. And then, and then the trees break, and there's just this beautiful green grass. And here's this, this big building that looks like it landed, but it's made out of wood. It's sweeping wood tones. And like it's just like you can't believe that a place like this exists, and it's a studio. And it was, and it did. And I was there. And in this place, upstairs, they would have like the rooms for the band to stay like hotel rooms, like, like straight up like hotel rooms at the studio. And then there was also like a huge theater, or like a movie theater for you to just, you know, just plush leather seats just to, and then there, there was, and then when it was time to eat lunch there, here comes the chef, the <laughs> chef with food that looks like it's out of a magazine. Are you like, are you kidding me with this? You know, where am I right now? <laughs> so I, I'm at this place and they have this artist that they're working on that my, my, my buddy's working on. And it's a, it's a, it's a, he, she's an ocarina player, okay? And they're doing this techno track behind ocarina is what they're going for, and I'm in there listening to them working on these tracks, and it's it's pretty cool. I'm listening like, wow, this is trippy. And then uh, my friend Taka comes in, and I'm in the control room. He goes, hey, listen, he goes, we're thinking about this percussion thing, and we're there, blah 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 blah. And he's like, I'm I'm listening. I'm like, yeah, uh huh, uh huh. And I realized, oh wait, you want me to play? You know, I'm like, you know, he goes, yeah. I'm like, oh, oh all right. You know, I'm not gonna say no. Like what? What am I going to play? There's no drums here or whatever. Because we're just set up some stuff for you to hit, and we'll make it sound different later. You know, I'm like, all right. So I have like a metal, a metal ice bucket, a bass drum head that was that was taped to a to a chair for a, for a thud <laughs> sound. And the metal ice bucket was a cool hotel one that was had like a it was like all metal stainless steel and had a stand, and it really had a cool metal sound. And they just found stuff, and there was some sticks there. I wasn't ready for this, and I realized I should always be ready. So then uh, they go, okay. You know, listen once through the track. We got your headphones in there, and I mean, the the whole, all of behind me was just window, just glass, like floor to ceiling glass, and you see trees and nature, and it looks like, you know, it's like the guy that made the studio, the the guy that was the same guy that made the studio that they did. We are the world, uh, you know, the USA for <laughs> yeah, Africa yeah. thing. Like like after that studio, the A and M number one studio, he built this studio, right? That's so sick. like. You get that feeling like if I can't throw down today, I can't throw down. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> like the conditions are perfect. You know, like, yeah. like this is on me now. You know, and then I'm listening to the track. I'm like, I don't. And I'm like, okay. And then I just start playing what I feel. I just playing, just playing, grooving along. I'm like, okay, boom. We get to the end of the song, and I think I did pretty good. I'm thinking I'm pretty proud of it. I think I'm all right. You know, I think it was pretty good. I think I got a little bit off here and there from the track, but I don't think it's that big of a deal think they're gonna like it and then taka comes in he goes great come into the control room let's give a listen i'm like all right so i walk in there and they start playing it and instantly i'm cringing i'm like i'm out of time oh that was late oh that was early this is too busy what the hell am i doing and i'm like oh, i'm like i'm like taka make it stop I'm like taka stop let's do it again will you do it again please can we do it again he goes no but you just i go can we just do it again can you make it stop he goes, no you have to listen <laughs> And I'm like, so I had to, I had to deal with that and just listen to it. And I'm like, I, and I, I'm like, I'm sorry. He goes, no, it's cool. I go, let me do it again. Because you're going to do it again. But, you know, it was, I didn't realize what I sounded like. Yeah. And it was a huge epiphany for me and a huge thing. So the next take, I did much better. It wasn't perfect, but it was much, much better. And I, that was a huge, I started recording myself more because I realized I'm not recording myself. I don't even know what I sound like. Yeah, because I thought I could do this, and my perception over the reality was like it was terrible. 
I would have laughed that dude out of the stadium, out of the studio if it was not me, you know, like, like yeah. it was, you know, and that made me want to be better, made me want to be able to ad lib more. And like around that time, I wrote Jedi Knight because I was playing so much with music. Yeah, and I realized I don't play with music enough. Metronome is fine, but there's a more complicated, cooler sounding metronome called pop music, you know? Yeah. Um, you can put on that track and you hear how your beats are fitting with the bass line and with the guitar, with this, you know, the, all that stuff's all lined up. And, and, uh, and that really started me on a, on, a, on a different trip of just really trying to make it so that all these chops we have as rudimental drummers aren't just like this weird party trick that can't be applied to other musical situations. You know, that was my thing. Makes total sense. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. Um, see, yeah, I think that the book is really cool. I want to dive into it some more. It reminds yep. me of stuff that, like I said, I had in high school and just, uh, tell some of my students like, Hey, check this out. Like this guy, it's got, uh, all the, the right spots to go to the metric changes, the timing changes, the stick control. I mean, whatever, whatever you need is really comprehensive. I enjoyed it. Thank yep. you so much. I'm planning and on I'm diving still, in a lot more too. I, I, I've been working on it for, for my whole life. So I'm still, I just like you, Michael, you found a typo tonight, right? <laughs> I think that was, I think that was Evan, but, uh, yeah, was that yeah. You, Evan? yeah. Evan, yeah, yeah. Evan, Evan, thank you. And, <laughs> Ah, you know, yeah, you live with it for so I mean, long, you don't see it anymore. Yeah, you become yeah, all those little things. Eyes go cross-eyed. That's the good thing about it being digital too. They just can download it. It's an MP3. It's a PDF. And um, I actually went through because I have an email list of everybody that bought the book. So I recently made an update, fixed some of those typos, and I was able to just email everybody a new copy. Go here, throw away the old copy. I just fixed yeah. something. Yep. Yeah. That's cool. That's really cool. So it's kind of still a living document. I'm still trying to, I'm making it to be like, you know, just a book that you'd want to hand to a, a freshman kid coming in and be like, take care of this book. You're going to be playing out of it probably through college. And, yeah. And just take your time with it and go through. And then you, you're not going to have any excuse of like, why should I do this? Or why? I don't know this. I've never played seven, eight invert, you know, like it's in there. Yeah. Like, it is. You know, yeah. you should. It's it's definitely one of those things like it's it's tribal knowledge. I think it's awesome that you have put it into some kind of concise, accurate, just kind of book form for students, new and old, to pick up and kind of use as guidelines and a, a teaching tool. And uh, I'll definitely be diving in and recommending it where I see fit. And uh, thanks yeah. so much. So I'm going I have to uh, Legato Strokes and Eight in a Hand and knowing who Susie is. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I have a, I have, I, I fell into a bit of a rat hole. This is why, like, I'm going to do a second, not a second edition, but almost a companion book. Mm -hmm. That's everything about the book, but it's just full battery scores and individual parts. Yeah. Cool. You know, um, and then I realized, well, there's a lot of drum lines that only have three bass drums, so they don't get to play this unless I write a three bass drum part for everything, and <laughs> and a four bass drum part. And you know what? there's beginning middle and advanced people playing five bass drum parts. So I'm like, I've written that. So like, I, I've been working through that. Like oh, I have, wow. that's awesome. you know, that's awesome. I have one tenor around, you know, I know that every tenor line is not the same, but I feel like uh, a lot of that stuff, you know, they can add their own spice and their own flavor, but I just want to make sure they have something that gets them moving around the drums for the things that, cause some things they shouldn't really move around the drums. You know, some things are good to just, there is no around for certain things. You should just yeah. play it on one drum, you know? Yeah, for sure. You know, kids get addicted to the idea of they need to move everything around and 
and then pull out the you know pull out the sword, do the King Arthur move and all, and everything you know. Scraping uh, it up. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know sometimes you gotta you gotta hit it on one drum. Yep. You know, make well, sure it sounds good. I just glanced at our outline we put together before this, and I think we've hit on most of the big points. We've been going for believe it or not, like an hour and forty minutes now. So. Uh-oh. No, nice. no, it's not a problem. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think this has been I'm a down. great conversation. Other than it's 1 a.m. here, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it. You guys uh, even caring about my babbling. Uh, I love it. I think it's, it's great, too. I mean, just to chat with the different generations, man. Everybody's got their own walk, and it's the more we communicate and the more we talk, just the more the activity grows and benefits. So, yep. I think. I think you guys are doing an amazing thing by doing this too. And it's one of the things that's so lacking in our activity, partially because of Tresona and, and, and we can't even go back and see, uh, old DCI videos anymore. Yeah. So all oh, the good news is it's going to be live streamed. The bad news is you better be in your seat at the time because you can't watch it after the fact in a, in, in an age where everything is time shifted and we can watch anything when we want, mm-hmm. yeah. you have this amazing event where kids are pouring their hearts out, designers are designing their butts off, and we can't all see what happened. You know, yeah. we can't. It's if there, it just blows away in the wind after it's done. Like, like that's such a disservice. And I think that's that's one of the worst things about modern drum corps and indoor that I really think we got to get some lawyers on our side to figure out an educational purpose for this, uh, and and some kind of shielding from from lawsuits. That, you know, come on. Come on, John Williams. You don't want people to get turned on to your music? <laughs> Fair point. You don't want someone Fair to point. rock a Jurassic Park thing? This kid does never seen Jurassic Park. Now he plays your music and he goes, oh, I'm interested in this. And then he'll hear the original and go, oh, of course it's better. Like, I don't see why people are being so precious about their stuff. Let it out there. Let kid turn kids on to great music. Because otherwise, you know what they're listening to? Drake. <laughs> shots fired ladies and gentlemen especially no, in it's okay. no 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 i'm i'm not hating look i like 808 bass and some 30 second notes on the hi-hat just like the next guy but enough is enough you, you, you don't even have a song you have an intro yeah yeah fair, anyway. fair. all right so i feel I like that music. i feel that <laughs> <laughs> all right let's close this sucker out so i'll reiterate the spiel from the beginning Thanks for hanging out for the whole episode, everybody. Hit subscribe on YouTube, subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, like the video, all that stuff. Follow on Instagram and Facebook to get all the updates. Pete, it has been incredible. Everybody, we will see you all in a few weeks with the next episode. Thank you so much. Thanks for doing this, guys. Appreciate you. For sure.